You're listening to CJLY 93.5 in Nelson, and it's Query with Abs, Axel, Bria, and Shaz. That's right. It's the queerest hour on Cooney Co-op Radio. We talk about things, love, life, and we learn and we laugh. And we love. Speaking of love, uh, this week, November 10th, is thanks, not Thanksgiving, Remembrance Day weekend. It's also my half birthday. And also, someone's coming to visit you finally. And also, <laughs> uh, Axel and I, not Axel, Bria and I are going to go check out a show in Spokane. Hopefully, they let us into the country. <laughs> Good luck with that. Thanks. Uh, but before we get started, there's something important that we always should and need to do. Yeah, we want to talk about the fact that we're recording and broadcasting on unceded Sinaiq's territory. And by unceded, I mean that this land was never given over in any formal agreement to the Canadian government. And we're all just kind of living here, um... As guests, the three of us at least, not everyone is living here as a guest, but mm-hmm. um, we are very grateful to be on this land. Yep. And to receive all of the gifts that this land has given us. Mm-hmm. So this week, I think you guys need to get to know us better. Our beautiful audience, our very, very beautiful audience. You really need to dive deep into our souls. And Axel had a brilliant idea how you can get to know us. So I listen to this podcast sometimes that's called That Was Us, and it's by someone who I admire very much named Julia Nunes, Uh, and she, basically she interviews people, and the way that she interviews them is she asks them to bring a piece of writing from their past onto the show and to read it, so sometimes it's an old journal entry or old email exchanges or MSN Messenger chats, and they read them, and then she interviews them about who they were then uh, when they wrote that thing and who they are now and what's changed um, and kind of looking at how people grow and evolve throughout our lives. So we wanted to do something like that on the show to illustrate how we are three people who have grown and changed throughout our lives. and Three totally different people. Mm-hmm. So we're all going to be sharing something throughout the course of this show and then we're going to be chatting with each other about it you can always listen to us on podcast or online live or you can just like us on facebook you know we we sit here and meet once a week and talk to each other about life and what we should share with the world around us and hope that we inspire others to journey forward so let us know what you think Mm mm-hmm So, Shaz, do you have something to share with us? So, the game today, or the story today, is getting to know us a little bit more. And uh, something that we did or wrote 10 years ago, it's something that we wrote 10 years ago. Um, uh, We'll read it out and we'll talk about it. 10 years ago uh, was around 2010, and that was a very uh, powerful time for me. My best friend was uh, diagnosed with colon cancer, and I helped care for her until she passed away. And that was the first time I've ever experienced death in my life. And uh, it was also kind of what put me on the trajectory of my current role in society or my the gift that was given to me. 
Um, I'll always remember I was driving down uh, from Prince George to Vancouver. Uh, I was returning, bringing my friend's truck, which got impounded because he was going 40 over the speed limit. And I get this phone call and my friend was like, oh, can you pull over? I have something to tell you. And I pull over. That was in between Prince George and Quesnel at the time. And I pulled over and she told me that she had stage four colon cancer. And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, you're home. Okay, I'm coming over. And I, and I had to turn around in Quesnel. And I turned around and I, and I went to the grocery store and I picked up all of the sunflowers that they had there. There was like three bunches of sunflowers. And I brought them over to my friend's house. And then we just sat there and we talked about it. And then she, uh, throughout the course, course of her illness, which lasted about seven, eight, six, seven, eight months, I got the opportunity to not only support her through this process, but I think, I think, uh, a coming of life or, a yeah, a coming of life thing that we all experience is grief loss, uh, of, a, of a loved one. And grief can, grief always happens in tandem with love. So whenever you have a relationship where you love someone, you can always be guaranteed that the grief and the loss will equate the love that you give to them. So always love big because, you know, people deserve it. Okay. So back to this writing situation. Uh, after she passed away, we had to organize her funeral and, uh, her partner, he was very distraught at the time and, uh, and I was like, I got the eulogy. I'm going to write the eulogy for you. So I'm going to read you out the eulogy. And I think the eulogy is like um, funerals and such are, are, I believe, are super important because it helps you process uh, someone's life. And not only process someone's life, but every once in a while when I want to remember my friend, I read the eulogy. So pull up a nice warm chair, pull out some Kleenex because I cried a lot when I wrote this. Uh, but I hope you enjoy it. Are you ready? Dear Alyssa, I miss you. I miss going to your office between classes to catch up on gossip, hunting you down from office to lab, and standing at the doorway of that closet of the cell culture lab, quietly watching you as not to disturb you while you pipetted. I remember you telling me that you found pipetting to be quite zen-like, and as I looked at you calm relaxed, hair pulled gently back, dipping in, inoculating, garbaging, new tips, dipping in, inoculating, garbaging, and then repeating, I thought you were positively crazy and fell in love with you even more. I miss our dinners, our laying in the hammock staring at the stars, the doodling you would do as we chatted and made dinner. Well, I made dinner while you entertained. You didn't know this, but I used to strategically put pens and paper, pens and colored paper, Oh, where were we? Strategically put paper and colored pens over my house for you. And I've kept all of the doodlings that you drew. I will miss our chats on the great mysteries of life. Biological, metaphysical, or just plain personal trash. You inspired me to live life fully. When you embrace something, you learned about it and committed to it passionately. Like when you got that book on acupuncture and the needles from Chinatown and the poster of the meridian lines. And well, I'm glad you found the right energy points. I will always have a treat. Oh, it was always a treat having you in my yoga class. I used to put you at the front because of the powerful way you had a grasp of your body. The way you moved. You moved with such flow and grace. Well, at least before your first drink. And then when you did drink, I will miss how awkward and gangly you became. 
I love the elegant way you grasp the English language. A bit heavy on the sarcastic side, you had this unique way of describing things. Like when you came out of a messy, my messy bathroom and asked me if I developed film in there. And I was, and I will miss getting upset at you for saying that's so gay, even though you did it to get me worked up. You've gone by many names. Alyssa, Shazanator, Betty McCracken, and Basil. Each name representing the different communities you were part of and that were part of you. I will miss our synchronized swim team practice. Lying on our backs and sculling with our hands, and every time I go to the pool, I promise to work on my skills and think of you. I miss you, Alyssa. Ever since our first encounter, as Jen and I showed you the nightlife in town, starting at the Rum Jungle, and then we walking into the strip bar where you pronounced to us that you couldn't be there because you wouldn't be able to face your women's group on Tuesday. I fell in love with you then and have been loving you ever since. You're the smartest person I know. Listening to your defense was spectacular. You even had enough time to crack a joke. Mind you, it wasn't the lemon entry one, but one subtle enough for us to get. Curtis... Once this was once describing you when he said, the smartest people can express themselves to any level of knowledge base. He was thoroughly impressed at how you were able to make him understand what you did for work. I agreed with him, and I'm sorry I never told you that. I miss hanging out at the cabin in the middle of the winter. Me, putting on some so much wood on the fire that we end up sweating, and I have to admit, I made sure to use the bathroom before coming out there. The cabin was f- perfect for you as you found solstice in quiet and personal growth in, growth in this phase of your life. You've lived in some interesting places, aboard ships of many types, above the two parrots on Granville, on Granville and Davy, which was interesting enough without having the bedroom in the kitchen. And when you moved to Prince George, you lived in a basement suite, which I used to bike to and crawl in through the window. I remember making soap out of recycled vegetable oil that you got out of a metal dumpster behind Earl's, and we used the soap for months and months and give it away to everyone we knew. We shared some brilliant ideas together. Wow, you had the ideas and I helped facilitate them. The seed of Dharma was given to you and you showed it to me. You knew me when you told me about Vipassana, just enough to get me curious and inspire me to follow your steps and take the course. In your last moments, you would ask us, how is this going to change our lives? How could I answer that? If anyone had the mental determination to change, you did. And you ask us this question? Well, it took your passing for me to find the answer. And for everyone who has shared a moment of your life to answer this question. You've changed me. Irrevocably. Unquestionably. And you have made me a better person. You have left us, taken all that you could be with you to rest, and have left this deep aching in my heart that I will embrace every day. You have left me with so much more, though. You've opened my heart to love, taught me about determination, and enriched my life with all of the emotions of your passing. I held your hand as you slept, watching you breathe and thinking about all the wonderful times we shared. I held your hand and silently hoped to take your pain away. I held your hand and reassured you, comforted you, and told you stories of how we shared life together. You've given me the greatest of gifts, your life, your presence. You are my bodhisattva, and although your journey was uniquely your own, it will always be a part of mine. 
I learned how to be a better person from you, and in your passing, I understand what an honor it was to be part of your life. I've never really, really known love, sadness, pain, or suffering, and in the last few months of your life, you have taught, taught, you have deeply taught me these things. In the short time I have known you, we became the bestest of friends. Time with you seemed to fly by, and we always did fun things like sledding, doing tai chi, and getting my ego handed to me over chess and wine. Well, mostly because you even forgot that we played the next morning. And we played dress up. You opened your heart to me, cried on my shoulder, as you grieved your sister's passing. You showed me how to find peace as you found peace in your own passing. You've done many things in your life, enough to fill the pages of multiple biographies. You've been on an icebreaker in the Arctic Circle, prayed in Tibet, danced to silence at Burning Man, and delicately held a marble murlet or two. You tightrope walked on tall ships, held my hands as we slid down a three-story astroturf slide, and paddled some sweet rapids with your soon-to-be husband. Once, you even attempted to show me how a compass and map worked in case I should go out mountaineering. You found freedom in the outdoors, existence with salt water on your face, and happiness when you talked about Sean. This journey in, in the last few moments of life has been a difficult one, and I know you found peace and in the process embraced your own passing. You reminded me that we all die. This is the inevitability of the world. But we lack that connection to death and with it the appreciation for life. I learned what love is as a selfless act. I love you and I wish I could have said that to you. I learned love from you. I learned it from the selfless care that Sean provided to you in your moment of need. I learned about love when he held your hand, cried on your knees, filled up your hot water bottle bag with attachments, and watched him as he tried to do anything in his power to make you happy. I learned what love meant as he held your hand, calming you when I had to remind you of why you were in pain after the temporary amnesia. I learned what love meant, Alyssa, because I was your sounding board when he first moved in with you with all his stuff. He came into your life to show you what love means. Sweet Alyssa, I will continue to learn what love means with every thunderstorm, yoga class, falling snowflake, or shooting star, because everything in the world reminds me of you. And as you lay there, I told you I don't like saying goodbyes, because I will see you again. And, sweet Alyssa, I learned what love meant when I said goodbye to you. Thank you for giving me this gift. So we're going to take a quick moment, and I'm going to play you one song. Uh, when she was in hospice... Um, um, this was before something called MAID or medical assistance in dying. And so um, she was on the process of something called palliative sedation, where it was uh, using a uh, drug to help induce uh, a medical-induced coma. And uh, for that to happen, they had to remove all of the medication and then slowly start to build up on that specific one. And the, the mind and the body shuts down in different ways. And at one point in time... Uh, Alyssa got up uh, out of out of her bed, and uh, this song came out. And then all of us who were in the room, there were about four of us in the room, four friends, and Sean, her partner, uh, we all started singing this song. And the song 
was I Won't Back Down by Johnny Cash. Welcome back to Query. We just heard a beautiful eulogy that Shazad wrote for his friend Alyssa 10 or so years ago. Yep. Wow. Wow. There's a lot of love there. Do you still keep in touch with uh, like her husband and like uh, on Facebook? We yeah. still see each other. Oh yeah, follow up with each other. But yeah, it was a very interesting, uh, powerful time in our lives because uh, uh, I don't think any of us has really experienced a close person passing away. And it, as I said earlier, put me on the trajectory that I'm on because now I'm a funeral director. As as uh, because I had such a beautiful a beautiful experience that I wanted to make sure that. Everyone's experience, no matter how difficult their journey has been, is also beautiful. I'm curious uh, if you have, before that, had an experience of just like being having an awareness of death, or like what if you have a memory of the first time as a child that you realized that death was a thing and that like people die? Did. No, and that was the interesting thing is that the age of 30, and I don't think most people do have this um, connection to death or that, that like solid experience of somebody dying in a short period of time. And it's not, and, and in my profession, I, we talk about that most people won't have to um, organize a funeral. Maybe they would do it once, but most people won't have to organize a funeral. Yeah, or do a eulogy because can you imagine who who would who would write your eulogy if if um, you were to leave us, Bria? No, I, I have no idea. I can't imagine. I know, hey. How about you, Axel? Do you have someone that would write an eulogy for you that you would like to have write your eulogy for you? I think one of my family members would do a good job. Like, yeah, my sisters and I are all writers, so I don't oh. know. I think if they were able to kind of collect enough to put words to paper that I'd be down. Do you remember uh, the Jim, when Jim Henson died and the, um, the funeral that they had for him with all of the Muppets and stuff? Oh, and Kermit sang the rainbow connection. No, it's it's, going over my head. It's on YouTube. Um, Jim Henson and his funeral. Uh, It's a brilliant, uh, it's a brilliant coming together of a community to celebrate someone's life. So, It takes a lot of emotional awareness and kind of reflective capacity to write that kind of piece. And I'm wondering, have you always carried that? Have you always had that that relational sense of being able to reflect on a person and like your relationship? Or was this kind of like a new experience of having to look at your relationship with someone as like they had were kind of transitioning from being in your life in one way to being in your life in a different way. Uh, was that new or? Yeah, it was totally new. I, I've always been a, um, a lyrical writer. And so to write someone's eulogy lyrically and to like have it in a, in a, in it's a double, double, not perspective, but a double area. So I'm writing it as a personal letter, but I'm also accumulating all of that. Um, history of that person through that through that letter of them. So it was super interesting to write. And it was also writing it for the public as well, to pull the general, not public, but all of her friends, to pull her friends into her life. 
Mm. And so at the time that you wrote this, you were living in Prince George? Mm-hmm. I was just finishing up my university. Uh, my degree at university and uh it was the last year and yeah Hmm. um it was interesting too because like traditionally with your last year of school you like try and focus on what you'd like to do next with your career but because of the the um experience of grief i had to take time off and i moved back down south to my parents place and i uh just you know lived there for a little while to recuperate before moving on and it was great because my parents lived a block away from a funeral home and I ended up volunteering. Well, I volunteered at hospice for a while and then volunteered at the funeral home and brought me here. Wow. Was that pretty immediate after like you had this experience and then you were like, okay, death is something that I'm comfortable being around? No, it took, it took, so I s- took me about six years to s- five years to start volunteering um, and the hospice volunteer program is really good. Uh, volunteer training program is really good. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go do it, you should. Um, and even the whole uh, hospice experience, because it really kind of ties in that we all, everybody lives and everybody dies. And to provide care for someone on their last on their last legs of life is one of the most beautiful things that you can give to the world. Yeah, it sounds like this person really like changed the trajectory of your life. And it's funny that it was uh, almost 10 years ago. What 10 years brings. Mm. Yeah, it's weird. We're going to be entering a new decade in a couple months. All we have to write is 2-0, right? And just 2-0-2-0-2-0-2-0. So efficient. (laughs) Uh, Do you still have a hard time with goodbyes you said in your oh yeah your i don't eulogy. like saying goodbye to people like no, you no, always no. hated goodbyes yeah for some reason like okay bye see you later not like like some some friends or some people like do the ec- extended hugs <laughs> i love you okay bye i'll see you next time okay you be nice safe and call me when you get home because it's icy on the roads oh no i'm talking about my parents there for a second hold on <laughs> Reminds me of this book that I read once where there was this like quirky grandmother character who every time she was saying goodbye, she would basically say like, if we live that long. So if someone would be like, okay, see you next week. She'd say, okay, yeah, if we live that long. Um, That's the best. Just embracing the like temporary nature of our existence. If we live that long. Grandma. So, I'm excited to hear what you have to, you've written for us, not written right now for us, but what you wrote about 10 years ago, and how, uh, yeah, tell us about what you've chosen to uh, share with us. Well, it's been, like, kind of hard trying to, uh, you know, like, pinpoint what I wanted to talk about from 10 years ago, Um I was in touch with uh, one of my oldest friends today mm-hmm. who uh yeah we've been we've been friends since we were in elementary school, so like you know, know almost like twenty years or something like that and uh when we were kids, we used to write each other letters, and I don't have these letters with me right now because uh, I called her today, and she's like. They're somewhere in the basement. I can't find them. And I was like, well, come on. But she couldn't find them. But I do know that, like, 
you know, like when you're like a little like 13 year old or something like that, everything is so important and everything like matters so much. Hold on, hold on a second. You're only 23? Because 10 years ago, you're well, ready. No, no, this is even further back. I'm oh. just, uh, yeah, but I don't have this, but it's okay. Okay. I'm 32. Are you? So World? 23. What were you doing at 23? Where were you at 23, Birya? I guess I was in Halifax. Ooh. I was studying marine biology. Ooh. Yeah, I was definitely a much different person than I am today. I was cl- closeted. And I, I feel like I lived a, a pretty sheltered life. Like sometimes when you're in, you know, like any kind of institution or like any kind of like facility which like surrounds you with people like of similar like interests, like you don't grow as much and you also don't feel as comfortable to like expand in, uh, in like certain ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I was having a hard time in university. Like, I I found that I'm, or that I was much angrier when I was, like, a closeted queer. baby queer. Oh. Yeah. Taking out that frustration on other things. Yeah, totally. So do you have uh, some writing that you did uh, 10 years ago with your friend? Or more longer? Yeah, um, I was going to read to you guys some... Uh, I, f- I found on Facebook there's some way to, like, look at old messages. Um, and this is, like, some communication between my friend and I as I was just coming out. So I guess I should give you guys some context. Um, about 10 years ago, I was actually living in Vancouver, believe it or not. And I uh, I had this, like, loser boyfriend at the time. <laughs> and we were... Uh, we were planning to drive across the country together and go back to Nova Scotia. We were road tripping across the country and uh, broke up on the way there. Oh, no. Yeah, he uh, he flew back to Vancouver and I just kind of continued on to Nova Scotia. But I've been in really cl- close, close, close contact with this person for a really long time, a buddy of mine who lived in Vancouver at the time. And so she was just... Um, messaging me on the facebook and she's like arrow update please where are you xoxo i thought of you and then she sent me this random job posting in bc like trying to get me to come back but then i i didn't respond to that at all and i just said i have some things to say you know that I don't know what you've been up to, but I think you should stop being a bar star. Can you believe this? I said this to my friend. I'm like 22, giving my friend uh, advice on the... Bar stardom. Yeah, the bar stardom. Anyways, like I should like I should have been talking. And then I said, mm, I love you. And one question. Are you sensitive to the people around you? Because I am. I guess I was going through something. And then she said, hey, buddy. Thanks for the uh, the advice. I really appreciate it. You will be happy to know that I haven't been to the bar all year. I guess my going away, like, stopped the... Uh, <laughs> oh. So were you her um, bar star buddy? I would say yes. Yes. I also was a bar star. I don't really get hammered anymore. 
just go out to hang with people and listen to tunes. Um, I am sensitive to the, pe- to the people around me. Hell yes. You know this, LOL. It's best to just make sure that you're always checking in with yourself and making sure that you are taking care of you. Who cares what other people think? It's easier said than done, I know. Guess what? I just started painting again. It's so much fun! And then she said she wants to come visit in April with uh, this person that she was seeing who disappeared. And then... Um, I responded, like, maybe a week later or something like that. Well, living proof. If something can go wrong, it will. Ha ha. (laughs) The day before I head to uh, Halifax, my car won't start. I guess I got stranded somewhere. And then I said, I'm starting to think the universe doesn't want me there. (laughs) And then my friend says, dang, Don't think the universe doesn't want you there. That's not true. The universe wants to make sure that you regularly are checking everything on your car. (laughs) 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 And then my friend was like, so did you make it to Halifax? And I said, yeah. Weird. I never got that message up there. But yes, the universe wants what it wants. And that's that. LOL. Ha ha. (laughs) You can make a reference for me, please. This restaurant... Oh, oh, I guess I was, like, trying to get my friend to, like, make a a fake reference for me. I guess I'll go on record saying that. Is that that what 22-year-old Brio wanted? I guess so. Oh, okay, so this is good. I have come to understand something about myself in terms of what I want in a man or woman. (gasps) And then I said in brackets, recent discovery... LOL, haha. <laughs> I think this might be like the first evidence of my queerdom. That's great. Just downplay it with the LOL. <laughs> and I said, most people constantly look for someone that compliments them in some kind of way, right? Well, fuck that. What traits that you, well, what are the traits that you look for in someone? You should just be those traits. You should just be that person. Is that you saying that or your friend? That's me saying that. Okay. Yeah. Just trying to give like worldly advice to my friend as a 22-year-old. After you came out to her. Yeah. So did she has a, did she respond to you coming out? Not yet. This is still the same message. Oh, okay. I like how you blended it all together into And I said, "P.S. I love ya." Okay, and then she responds, "I love you. Do it." <laughs> <laughs> do and what? Well, I don't know. I guess that's it. She just says, "Do it." Ah, that's what friends are for. They know that you don't need. They don't need to explain anything. Well, just do that's it. all we get. Yeah, I guess. Wow. Okay, I have lots of questions. Okay, uh-huh, okay. me too. Okay, so I notes. Uh, how long were you with this deadbeat boyfriend? Uh, I think like under a, under a year, and it was like a pretty like crazy decision to move across the country with him hmm. how did you break up with him like were you both driving were you in saskatchewan where everything is plain and the same and you had to like self-reflect through that time i uh, know we stopped in at uh, my brother's house who lived in toronto at the time and 
I guess we we got in a fight and what was the fight about? I don't even remember. <gasps> it's like ten years ago. Can't remember. Oh, that's true. Yeah, um, but I do remember kicking him out of the house. Oh, dang! Whoa. It was it was a bad Whoa. one. That's a boss move. <laughs> How do do you remember the words you said? Get out of my house! I think it was somewhere along the lines of like a, a look that was just like, "You should leave." Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> and then so, because whose whose vehicle was it? Your vehicle. Mm-hmm. So then, where did he leave to? Uh, he was staying at a buddy's place for a couple of days, and then we we met up, and then we decided. Well, he mostly decided that he should. Go back. Yeah. Yeah. Can you paint us a picture of just like you in general at that time? I guess like you're transitioning from like living on one side of the country to living on another side of the country. But there's also this big transition moment of like sexual orientation. Yeah, exactly. I mean, when you said in the message, recent discovery, lol. Um, was it a uh, recent uh, discovery uh. or was it like a revelation or was it something you'd known for a long time but we're kind of like keeping on the down low? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely it was something that I had realized for a very long time but um, had like repressed those feelings. And then I know that this happens to everyone. I'm not the only one. But like something happens where you're just like you you can't deny your feelings anymore. Mm. I can't den- That's a song, isn't it? I can't deny these feelings. Maybe we should mm. play it. Did your ch- did your um did your relationship with your friend change at all after uh, you coming out to them? I mean, I don't think anyone was really that surprised. Oh, <laughs> did you get into your friend's pants? <laughs> okay, we well, just check in. You never know. That could have changed the relationship. Just, you know, throw those I didn't. I, you didn't read. Scroll far enough down in yeah, your true. previous message oh chats for me to it see. Was, that was very difficult for me. Mm. The first person, yeah, I think the first, the first few people that you like come out to is the most hardest. Ha ha! Lol. <laughs> This was before Facebook had, like, seen notifications, though, right? So, like, you could just send it and then, well, I mean, I guess that's even more terrifying. It's like you send it off, you're like, send, and then you have to kind of wait in this, like, anxious state of, like, have they read it yet? Are they, what are they going to say? Like, I wonder if people came out in the letter, in, in letter form, like, they'd write letters to their loved ones or lovers and wrote it in a... Hand wrote it, wrote it in a letter and then had to wait months. Before People for sure do that. Did that. Did that. Still do? Uh, I know someone who came out to their parents by writing them a letter and then leaving it there. And really? like leaving the house for like a while and then like accidentally getting lost outside of cell service and then like coming back and the parents were freaked out. Anyway, that's not my story. But There yep. is something really beautiful about like handwritten letters and how... There's also so, uh, something beautiful about hearing someone's coming out story. And I think that that's one of my favorite things is to, when I get to know someone and I ask them, tell me about your coming out story. Because it is like there's this change that happens when you finally acknowledge the, your true feelings, right? And at, and everyone's um, coming out story is a little bit different. Well, a little bit to quite a lot different. 
um, coming out to yourself, coming out to your parents, coming out to your friends, um, losing friends. And then within the queer community, there's something that we really, um, we were talking about it on our field trip about um, chosen family and the importance of chosen family within a uh, queer collective. I also feel like that it can make people feel very uncomfortable to be asked their coming out story. Like if it's not an appropriate situation. So mm-hmm. you got to be cautious about that. And yeah, it's nice when people just offer that as yeah. opposed to asking. I used to go to high schools and uh, talk about uh, something called pride speak where you go and you talk about what it's like to be queer or gay and, Part of that is telling someone you're coming out, telling the, these uh, students your coming out story, how different people perceived it, how your parents dealt with it, all that kind of stuff. It was super neat. My coming out story is still ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I yes. guess, like, yeah, I don't feel like I have a coming out story. I have many coming out stories, and they continue <laughs> to this day. I still have to come out to people all the time. I mean, not I have to, but I feel that to be authentic and I don't know, it's still something that people assume, I guess, uh, about a person. Like if you start a new job or something like that? Yeah. And how soon? I mean, now I just talk about my radio show and (laughs) leave people to like (laughs) make up their own conclusions. (laughs) So I got a PSA for us. On Sunday, November 17th, from 11 a.m. to 3 p.m., Touchstone's Museum of Art and History invites the community in and opens up the entire building for our biannual Museum Mash, a full day of free family event programming. The doors open at 11 a.m., and programming will begin almost immediately with entertainment for the little ones on the second floor with shadow puppets and singing. We welcome back Discoverer Circus who will amaze us with their skills and aerial with their skills and aerial skills in gallery A. There will also be art card creations, topography crafts, and musical performances. The third floor will be opened as a quiet space for coloring, breastfeeding, and snacks. Bring the whole family and stay all day. Look for more information on Facebook. See you at Museum Mash. Will you be performing? No. Okay. I wasn't invited. Oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't have time. <laughs> Before we listen to our next song, Axel, shall we move on to you? Mm. Let's mm-hmm. find out what mm-hmm. what writing. Axel brought in um, a stack of their journals, um, and the titles on the covers were quite, quite lovely. May you pass me one of the, the, the queen one? I would like to read this out. Like, if I were to wake up in the morning uh, and open my journal, I'd like it to say, Queen, former princess, future goddess. Did you used to write? You used to write every day in your journal? Mm, not every day, no. I was a pretty inconsistent journaler. I would go through phases where I would do it for like a month. Oh, nice. And then, um, yeah, a lot of these these journals are like half full, or at least a couple of them are. Some of them are. There's definitely some empty pages in here. But, yes, I've always been a writer um, and identified that way. When I was younger, I wanted to be a novelist. I mean, I, I guess I am a novelist. But when I was younger, I wanted to be a published author. 
I no longer want to be a published author. <laughs> uh, yeah, I now have some concept of how difficult it is to write a good novel. It's very difficult. Oh, I, I commend many people who do that. Have you tried? Oh, yeah, I've tried. I have tried. Actually, so 10 years ago, I was 15 years old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm the baby of the show. And at 15, I actually wrote my first novel. Wow. And I did that exactly, yeah, 10 years ago um, during National Novel Writing Month, which is in November. And National Novel Writing Month, or NaNoWriMo for short. NaNoWriMo, is, NaNoWriMo, NaNoWriMo. Yeah. It's this... Uh, this lovely community event that is has been created um, where novelists, writers, get to all sign up to write a novel just in the month of November. Oh. So they challenge you to write 50,000 words, which equals 1,667 words a day. And this is happening right now. So, you know, oh, people wow. are out there like doing this, um, like thousands of people. That's why um, I keep on seeing people at the uh, coffee shop writing, writing, writing. Yeah, they have these weird things called write-ins where people get together and write their novels. And novel writing is usually like a solo activity, you know. You kind of do it in like your dark candlelit room and you like <laughs> feel things. Um, but NaNoWriMo turns novel writing into a sport where it's like how many words did you get today oh my gosh i wrote ten thousand words in one sitting what <laughs> um and people get together and like do it and it's weird and i went to a write-in when i was doing this um and living in the lower mainland that was on a sky train so we all met up at the sky train station and then we like brought our laptops and then we like took over a car of the sky train station and we're just like riding the sky train writing novels. Just like around in circles? Yeah, totally. Wow, cool. I went um, oh, it's giving emotion at sickness. the end <laughs> of um, like one of the lines and like we like stayed on, I think at the last stop, like King George Station or something. We stayed on the train as it like went to like the back like parking area oh, yeah. of the sky train. And we were like, oh weird, like we're on the secret back train um, parking lot. Anyway, I'm stalling because my writing is embarrassing. <laughs> Yay! Um, well, I think my life was not very exciting when I was 15. I I mean, I, it was, I was just, you know, a normal homeschooled teenager, you know, living my life, hanging out with my friends. I was straight. I, yeah, that was a part of my life. And... Anyway, so I decided, I heard about NaNoWriMo, I don't know how, but I did, and I was like, I'm going to do that, because I want to write a novel, and I want to be published before I'm, like, 19 years old, which didn't happen, surprise. And so I wrote this novel, which, what was it called? It was, like, The Problem with Lemons or something was the title of it, or, like, something about lemons? I don't remember. I don't, I'm also, like, have been reacquainting with the characters, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, this is embarrassing. I'm is, sorry. Is this, is this from something about lemons? Yeah, so I'm going to read you a little excerpt. <laughs> <laughs> and basically, like, all you need to know about this novel, there's basically no plot. Oh. It's just, like, little scenes with characters who are, like, teenagers who think they're cool and are basically, like, 
cooler versions of me doing things that I wanted to do. So was this synonymous to your life at the time? No, my life was not this interesting. Okay. But I don't know. I thought I was funny. and Synonymous. I thought that I could... That I could write dialogue and like have these like whimsical characters doing like weird things and that it would be cool. Do you want to describe the characters that we're about to listen to or just let us dive right into? I'm just going to yeah, go for it. Dive you into get it. To know them. Yeah. So the other thing about this novel was that it was from different perspectives of the characters. So there, it was like alternating voices. So this uh, excerpt is with Clementine. <laughs> I got it. Yeah, Lemon Clementine. <laughs> Clementine? I heard the excitement in her voice the second I picked up the phone. When you have a slightly sarcastic friend, you start to pick up on things like genuine excitement. Yes? We're going to Scotland. Are you ready? I thought about it. No, I am not ready. <laughs> Well, get ready. We have to go. What took you so long to say something? I was thinking, I said indignantly. Oh, I thought you, like, fainted. (laughs) Ha ha, you're terribly funny. That's what they tell me. So are you packing? Uh, I scrambled off my bed. Yes? Good. Be ready in 15 minutes, and I'll be over to talk to your mom. 15 minutes? Only 15 minutes to pack for a cross-Atlantic journey? Take your time, I said, hoping she would be late. I doubted it, as she seemed particularly determined. But I could hope for more time. Hoping was okay. See you in 10. What? No! You said 15! Just start packing, she said, and I heard her phone disconnect. Wonderfully polite that girl was. What is one supposed to pack when going on a spontaneous trip to the UK? Maybe it was a joke. It's highly possible that Roe would bust through the door right now and tell me we're going to Dairy Queen. (laughs) She had sounded serious, but should I really trust blindly? She hadn't mentioned a reason for the sudden vacation. Roe didn't really have a history as a prankster, apart from that one time in elementary school. But there was a first for everything. I decided to throw some stuff together. Pants? Underwear? That's the end of the excerpt. <laughs> wow, that was really good. Especially for a 15-year-old. Yeah. I mean... It was a pretty good <coughs> character development. Pants? Underwear? <laughs> what should I pack? <laughs> I don't know. This is this is pretty... Would you ever... Would you do uh, that writing contest again? Um, Potentially. I think the thing about NaNoWriMo uh, is that it's what they say is that it's about quantity, not quality. Mm. Um, And going on this idea that writing is rewriting and that really you just have to get the words out and get the story out of your brain and put it on paper. In some ways, it's a good exercise because you just write and it's like you don't read what you wrote. You just Mm -hmm. write like... 1,667 words every day or more. And it feels really good. It feels good when you like hit 50,000 and you're like, dang, I wrote a novel. It's terrible, but I wrote it. 
and it's out there and I can edit it and would you ever would you go back and rework some of some of those uh zines that you or zines or scenes that you uh wrote at 15 no because they're terrible (laughs) like they're not interesting you know there are a bunch of conversations between teenagers that I think are like funny little conversations or whatever or like weird things but in terms of an actual story it was helpful for me to write because it was therapeutic in a way Uh as a teenager like having all these feelings and then being able to project them onto characters who are not me and and to make those characters deal with the feelings and get the characters into situations that I wanted to be in like this story and like my other novel as well are both like romances at heart really they were like little like oh like I have a crush on this boy (laughs) like and that's what I wanted my life to be when I was 15 um but it wasn't and so I I read books about other romantic happenings and I wrote stories about romantic happenings and that was pretty satisfying I also wrote about yeah I guess my relationship with my mom um through the characters and through like their like relationships with their parents and was able to kind of like process things in a way that was helpful i I really like the idea of just like writing things and not giving yourself time to edit or like giving yourself the opportunity to edit because then you can be so critical of what you do um yeah Mm -hmm. wow thank you for that lovely sharing of your Youthful writing. I wonder how many uh, writers uh, ref- reflect back on their their youth because it's hard to, you know, picture what teenage angst was like uh, unless it's a lived experience. And then you write about it, and then you're reliving that experience as an adult, thinking, "Oh wow, I was very angsty." Oh my gosh, going through these journals, I was just like, "Are you for real?" <laughs> <laughs> like, wow. Like, some of the poems in here, oh, my God, I can't, like, so bad, but so rich with emotion. <laughs> the melodrama, you know? I, um, I remember uh, my uh, art in school was, was uh, art and pottery. That's how I got out, got out my angst. But I wonder how many kids in school, like, what did you do for your, like, expression of self in school? Um, I don't know. I guess I always, like, tried to play the Joker. I tried to play, like, the funny card as, Mm. like, a way to, like, smooth, smooth out the, uh, like, the discomforts. We're about to wrap up here. Yes. Thank you for listening to us on this. If you want to hear more of my novel, (laughs) too bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but if you've missed episodes and you want to catch up, you can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, on Anchor FM. Just search Query with Abs, ABS, and you'll find our previous episodes. See you next time. <laughs>